Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 617 with David Cadavy. We had David on the show, wow, over 500 episodes ago, and he has sharpened and honed and refined his goods all the more. So if you'd like to have more productivity, but you find yourself uh, tuckered out, exhausted, overwhelmed too much, well, he's got some pro tips on how to manage your mind instead of your time to get that stuff done all the better. So you'll learn, one, how our obsession with time management hurts us, two, three questions to ask to get more work done, and three, how to easily shift to the optimal mental state for the work required. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we referenced, do drop on by awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP617. That has got the goods there. And by the way, the transcripts, I've had a few questions on this. There is a little horizontal bar you click on the post. So you'll see the image of, of David with a quote. You'll see the teasers of the you'll learn one, two, three. You'll see some handy links. And then underneath that is where you'll find the, the transcript. So it's deliberately somewhat hidden so that you can click to expand it because it's a whole lot of words. And we didn't want that to sort of dominate the real estate there. So it'll say uh, the name of guest interview transcript right underneath the links or resources, sponsors, and just above the tags is where those transcripts are. I've had a few questions on that. Just thought I'd, I'd mention it. So anyway, you can find that and more from David at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F617. And if you're checking out awesomeatyourjob.com, I recommend you check out the gold nuggets, which give you access to summary wisdom and email you read in about three minutes from David and as well as access to the whole vault of all the gold nuggets summary write-ups from every guest ever. So good stuff over at awesomeatyourjob.com, the gold nuggets. Here's David's story. David Cadavy is a best-selling author, blogger, podcaster, and speaker. Through his blogging at cadavy.net and his podcast, Love Your Work, he helps people find satisfaction through following their crafts, even if it takes them down unconventional paths. David's writing has appeared in Quartz, Observer, Inc., The Huffington Post, McSweeney's Internet Tendency, and Upworthy. He has spoken in eight countries, including appearances at South by Southwest, at TEDx, and he currently lives in Medellin, Columbia. Big thanks to David for sharing his wisdom with us and big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no, no. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours, and small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Now, here's David. David, welcome back to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Pete, it is good to be here. And I have to say, I'm so much more comfortable this time (laughs) than I was last time that we spoke. 
That was wild. That moment is etched in my memory for several reasons. One, it was one of my last hurrahs in my apartment of 10 years that I called the Strat because I got married just a few weeks later. Two, it was insanely hot. (laughs) Insanely hot. So I was sweating because it was hot and I was sweating because I, I, I hadn't done very many podcasts like live in person. Most of them were over the internet, but you were in my apartment. And was like, oh, I think I just, uh, I think I click uh, <laughs> multi-track. Uh, and, and I remember, here's how committed you are to the craft, David. I don't know if you remember this. I think of you about you all the time because I offered you a LaCroix and you said, after the show, because I don't want to be belchy when we're recording. I was like, now there's a man. It's a hot day turning down a delicious cold LaCroix so he won't burp on the show. That's commitment. Well, but seriously, could you drink a LaCroix <laughs> while recording? I know I've I can't. Before. I, just, I just go off to the side for a burp off mic. Well, I had the same thing happen with another podcast host who was like, hey, let's order some Indian food. You know, we can eat it right before the show. I'm like, what are you serious? You, like, you think you can eat food like Indian food and then immediately record? Like, maybe he can. Maybe he's got, uh, <laughs> he was a great, he's a great podcaster, but maybe he's got like a, an amazing, digestive system or something but i i would i couldn't i couldn't record after after that oh no hey why risk it well speaking of risk one thing you did which is pretty adventurous and exciting was straight up move to columbia and that's where you live now from chicago to columbia how's that going it's going great i had some problems they kicked me out a couple times but i'm back i was having trouble with the visa that I had, I just had like a freak incident and had to leave because of it. And so now I've been here for five years. And one of the main things that really attracted me to being down here is this project that I'm working on right now, this book that I have coming out. And uh, so now, now it's kind of the end of the experiment, but now I have a life here, so I'm not leaving. <laughs> That's good. Well, well, and I'm excited to dig into your wisdom. So mind management, not time management, productivity when creativity matters. It's fun. Like when we spoke last time, it seemed like you were just sort of in the middle of, of formulating and honing these ideas. And now we've got a, a polished gem of a, of a finished something Lay it on us. What's sort of the main idea behind this book? Yeah, thank you. And, you know, middle is about right, because I've been working on this thing for about 10 years. When we talked roughly five years ago, something like that. And it really all started when I got my first book deal about 10 years ago, almost to the day. And I sort of found that, first of all, I wasn't a writer. I hated writing as a kid. I didn't think of myself as a writer. And all of a sudden, I get this book deal after doing a little bit of writing, and I decide to go ahead and accept that, to take it on, take on the challenge. Only it was way more difficult than I had expected. I just found that everything that I had learned about productivity totally did not prepare me for writing a book. One of those things would be time management. So to write this book, I just cleared away as much time as I possibly could. I cleared away my schedule. I started to outsource things like my grocery shopping and my meal preparation and having my house cleaned and doing certain errands and all these things, cleared away as much time as I could and sat down to write. And I couldn't do it. I was just like banging my head against the wall all day. 
And eventually I did realize that I could have these sort of 15 minute bursts where all of a sudden the writing would come really easily. And I did some experimentation. I sort of came with a grab bag of rituals that I could go to to get this writing done. And then when that book was finally done, I sort of looked back on the experience and thought, like, wow, what happened? And I started to look into the behavioral science research. I started to look into the, the neuroscience of creativity. And I started to realize that there were a lot of different things that supported the patterns that I had come up with in terms of trying to make this creative work happen. And that we already have quite a bit of knowledge about how creative work happens, but the pieces haven't really been put together. And we're still, a lot of us are still working on this kind of old paradigm of time management in trying to get things done. And so that's what I'm talking about in the book. Mm-hmm. Well, well, beautiful. Well, let's dig in then. So what makes the difference in those moments of 15 minutes? Whoa, words are flowing easily versus I'm banging my head against the wall. Nothing's happening. What's kind of the core differentiator there? Yeah. So I think it helps to first understand what we're going for when we're going for creativity. Sort of the building block of creativity is the moment of insight. And there's a couple of neuroscientists, one's actually in the Chicago area, uh, Mark Beeman, and then John Cunios, who is at Drexel University. And they have examined in people's brains the moment of insight. You know, you have these kind of aha moments where you're like working on a problem and you're really struggling. And then all of a sudden you, you kind of, you have an aha moment. It's like, you feel it. It's like a jolt. They found out that that is actually a neurologically distinct moment in time. They made an image of the brain as that happens. There's just this moment where the brain goes quiet, and then there's this burst of activity. And that is the moment of insight. And what happens and what people report during these moments of insight is they just go from not having the answer to the problem to all of a sudden having the answer to the problem. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, and it's really amazing. <laughs> More, please. <laughs> and what happens is there's just these different regions of the brain that are all kind of communicating with each other at, at once, connecting these different concepts that are very disparate. You know, if you think about your brain like a racquetball court, and there's just all these balls bouncing around in the racquetball court, and every once in a while, a couple of those balls or a few of those balls collide, and that's like a moment of insight. So what you're going for when you're going for those moments is actually the opposite of what a person would expect. You know, we normally think that if you're going to do some work, that you want to be alert. You want to really be on your toes, etc. Well, it turns out when you want to be creative, actually the thing that makes those moments of insight happen is a brain state that's completely different from that. That's more of like, you want more of a relaxed state. And one of the ways to describe that is that your prefrontal cortex, the front part of your brain, is less active in, in these moments. And so the prefrontal cortex, that's what helps you plan. It helps you suppress urges. It's the thing that's like, you know, we're just going to cook at home because we're saving for this trip to Hawaii, or I'm not going to have that extra donut. I'm trying to lose weight. Like that's your prefrontal cortex at work, helping you with all that planning, prioritizing, et cetera. Think of your prefrontal cortex as being in that racquetball court, and your prefrontal cortex is obsessed with the rules of the game. 
it's seeing all the balls bouncing around and it's like, oh no, I have to make sure that all these balls hit the front wall before they hit the floor. It's, you know, the, the rules of racquetball, basically. And so the intention of the prefrontal cortex is to follow the rules, but the result is fewer collisions, fewer insights. And so one of the things that is really helpful when trying to make creative work happen is to kind of pick some time of day to work on your creative problems when your prefrontal cortex is sort of out to lunch or still sleeping. For a lot of people, that's like first thing in the morning. A lot of people, you wake up, you're groggy. People reach for the coffee immediately. That grogginess is a gift. It's a good time to start trying to think creatively. Now, the process of being creative doesn't stop there, but I'll stop there because I've said a lot already. Mm-hmm. Well, no, I love that. You know, we had Michael Bruce on the show, a sleep doctor, and he he used the term groggy greatness, in, which I thought I loved in terms of, yeah, you know. I like that. A lot of times uh, ideas, insights, you know, show up right there and I want to be able to capture them in the moment. So that's beautiful. So then the, the thesis here is whether, and it might not only be creative work, but there's sort of different brain states and different types of work. And you're looking for a match. Can you sort of lay out the whole framework for us here when it comes to, we want to do great work, be it creative or, or another flavor and lots of it. How do we do that? I think we can start with, let's pull apart this title, mind management, not time management. There's a specific reason why I put the not time management part in it is because we're obsessed with time management as a culture. A lot of us don't even realize it. It's sort of like the water that we, the fish, are swimming in. This is something that I realize now living in Colombia, which has a completely different conception of time. And it was interesting when I, when I looked at this, like, how long has time management been around? How long have we even been thinking about time? We take it for granted. We, we don't realize that like, people didn't know what time it was, most people, until you know, 150 years ago. Or there might be a clock tower in the middle of, of the village or something, and there weren't time zones until we had, uh, had to like, deal with all the trains that were crossing through time zones and trying to get timetables that, that looked right. And basically, the birth of time management is the moment when scientific management was created. This guy, Frederick Taylor, basically standing with a stopwatch next to a worker, watching the worker stack bricks, for example, and saying like, oh, well, grab the brick this way, uh, turn in this way, bend over in this way, etc., and then put the brick there. Okay, now here's the prescribed movements for stacking bricks. We're even going to build a scaffolding so that you don't have to bend over to pick up the bricks, etc. And now we have made the process of stacking bricks as efficient as possible. We have put the maximum amount of work in the time available. And now, now we're just going to be so much more productive because of that. And so this is a relic that is still with us today, is that we are watching our time all the time. We have what I call time worship as a culture. Time is so pervasive in our culture, we hardly even realize it. Notice the way that we negotiate with time quite often. I know I used to, might be coding in, in my cubicle uh, years ago when I worked in a cubicle. And I'm just like ears deep in it. I'm just totally in it. It's taken me all day to get to this moment. And boom, somebody taps me on the shoulder. What do they say? Hey, Dave, mm -hmm. got a minute? A minute <laughs> is a minute what we're looking uh -huh. for here. 
I mean, because I'm focused. It took me all day to get to this point. I've got momentum going. I'm in this mental state. And now you want me to show you how to change the paper on the printer. And now because I I go do that and it only takes me a minute. But hey, now I've just lost the entire afternoon because I can't get back into that state. Yeah. And that's what we're what we're looking for is is not to treat time as a commodity. Time is not like bushels of corn. It's not like blocks of frozen orange juice concentrate that you can just line up one after another as if they're the same thing. If you spend an hour a day writing at the end of a year, you'll probably have a book. But if you sat down and said, well, I'm going to write for 365 hours straight, you're not going to get the same result. You'll probably be right. dead. But So it's different. Time isn't this fungible thing that you can just trade out one after another. And this is one of the things that, that really frustrates me when I hear people say, oh, there's only 24 hours in a day. Time is the most precious commodity that we have. No, there's not 24 hours in a day. There's like two, maybe four hours in the day. And by the way, if there's only 24 hours in the day, that tells you that at some point you're squeezing blood from a stone. Like, yeah, you can manage your time up to a point, but eventually you're, you're not going to have gains anymore from managing your time more. Certainly, yeah, that, that totally makes sense in terms of if that's the, the finite thing, you're going to have a hard time getting big gains out of slicing that up a little bit differently. Well, actually, think about it like this way. I don't know how many of your listeners are, are golfers. Or if you're a golfer, Pete, I don't know if you've, if, if you've done much golfing. I've golfed a couple times, didn't go super have, well. <laughs> I, have you ever heard the expression, drive for show, putt for dough? I haven't, but I get what you're trying to convey. <laughs> you know, the, the driving, when you make a huge, long movement of that ball, it's like, wow, that's impressive. We all think you're cool. But it, it may well be those, the, the finer putts that make you a professional who gets a low score and earns money. Right. Well, this was the opinion for like 200 years in golf was that, oh, putting is the most important part of the game. Why? Because in like a standard round of golf, putts make up half of all the strokes in golf. But there was a guy out of Columbia University. His name is Mark Brody. And he really did a lot of statistical analysis in the game of golf and has completely changed statistics in the, in the game of golf. And what he found was that uh, putt for dough is, is not true. That uh, when you really break it down, that is not the thing that separates amateurs from pros, and it's not the thing that separates the pros from the rest of the field necessarily when they when they win. That even though putts make up half of the game, they only make up fifteen percent of the difference between say pros and amateurs. And so this is what I call a raised floor. It's this area where it looks like there's a lot of room for progress because there's a lot to work with there. And you get to a certain point and you think you can keep making progress there, but your efforts are better spent somewhere else. I mean, another example would be like with money. How much money can you save? Really? Like you've got to live your life. Like spending a minute in the aisle trying to figure out whether this soup uh, is worth five cents more than this other soup is Mm. not worth it at a certain level. And so instead of trying to lower this raised floor, you, you try to raise the ceiling, you know, and so mm-hmm. instead of how much time can you really save, instead of trying to do that, we'll make better use of your time by finding your best energy and making the best possible use of that. Okay, yeah, I'm down. So 
So you lay out some three key questions for mind management along the lines of, hey, what kind of work do I need to do right now? What kind of mental state am I in? And then how could I get into the right mental state, which I think is just very tactically dead on in terms of here I am. And, and so maybe can you orient us to, I guess, to to the menu or to the, the categories of, of kinds of work? So that stacking bricks is different than writing a book. So how would you go about categorizing these different flavors of work? Yeah, I mean, this gets pretty deep, but I, I do want to just add on to this point about the, those those questions, because that is really the best way to get like a taste of it, because we do go deep in the book, and it's a lot to, to cover. But really just asking yourself this question next time that you're about to work on something, what is the mental state that I'm in right now? And then asking yourself, well, what do I need to do that fits that mental state? And if you happen to be in a situation where you really need to do a certain thing, then you can ask yourself, well, what is the mental state I would like to be in to be able to do that thing? And you can kind of reverse engineer it. A good way to do that is just say, well, when was the last time I felt that way? And then you can start to look at the conditions. Where was I sitting? What time of day was it? What day, day of the week was it? Was there something that I ate? Was there something that I drank? Did I drink a, a LaCroix right before? Things like that. Now, that's a good start, by the way. That's a good start to ask yourself that question. Be aware of this idea that the time that you're most creative is not necessarily the time that you're most alert. It's probably not the time that you're most alert. Now, I've gotten to the point where I've got it broken down to seven different mental states of creative work. Bring it. Okay. It's an acronym. I've got a little acronym for it. Makes it easier to remember. PERG PAR. Now, we got two main words here we're, we're thinking about if we want to remember this acronym. PER and PAR. Talking about golf again, the G stands for the game of golf. PER GOLF PAR. So PERG PAR. And those stand for prioritize, explore, research, generate, polish, administrate, and recharge. Now, I don't know if you've got time for all those, but some of my favorites there, I think the distinction between generate and explore is, is a very interesting one. Generate is, as a writer myself, when I'm in the generate state, I plan to get some writing done, some writing that I can actually use to a point. Okay, there's the, the famous quote, supposedly from Hemingway, write drunk, edit sober. Mm -hmm. And that's what the polish is, the edit part. So I'm not worried too much about, is this fact exactly right? Am I spelling this correctly? I'm just trying to get some sentences together that I can later go back when I'm in a different mental state, when I'm more alert. And if I run across something where I'm just like, I'm just kind of stuck, I just make some brackets, type it in there. So I'm staying in state. Mm -hmm. I'm not switching states all the time. Cool story about <laughs> that's inspiring AF. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, ex exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that's actually a great example. You know, you have, you have a situation like that where you want to illustrate something and you're like, yeah, cool story. That's inspiring AF, right? <laughs> and then later you go sit down in your recliner that evening with the brandy and think, oh, what are some cool stories that like, I know? And you do that part separately. Now, if you're somebody who already has a grab bag of stories, you know, you're a writer like me and you collect these things, you might already have something ready to go and you write it. But if you get stuck, you've got that. You're trying to stay in state because 
it's a waste of mental energy to be to be switching these mental states all the time. Think about like a car that's switching gears. You know, the gears are coupled with one another. That's moving the car forward. And then as you're switching gears, well, for a moment, those gears aren't coupled anymore. And so there's some energy that's just going to waste that way. And so mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's much better to just stay in state. That's generate. Now, I did mention, I promised that I was going to talk a little bit about explore because there's some fuzzy borders in between these categories where there might be some things where it feels like it's a generate activity, but it's actually an explore activity. And this happens with me when I write quite often. So I actually have a habit that's very weird that I do every single morning with my eyes still closed. I have a little portable word processor that I keep in my nightstand drawer with my eyes still closed. It's just, it's basically a keyboard with like an old school LCD screen that you might see Mm -hmm. in a calculator. It's called an alpha smart. You can, you can duck, duck, go it and see what, what Mm -hmm. I'm talking about. They cost 20 bucks, 30 bucks. And they're really just for writing. I have it in my nightstand. So I'll just grab it out of my nightstand with my eyes still closed, turn it on, and I just write 100 words. At least 100 words. I sometimes write more. Sometimes it's 1,000. Sometimes it's 2,000. But at least 100 words, I make sure to do that every single morning. Just make a really simple goal for myself. Now I'm writing, but it's not generate. It's explore. Because when I'm done with that activity, what I do is I delete it. Now, why would I write... Why would I bother writing in the morning if I'm just going to delete it? I wonder what you think about that, Pete. Well, I have a number of ideas in terms of it can... I think you delete it, but I imagine you read it before you delete it. Actually, I don't. Okay. Here's the thing. All right. And this is where I think a lot of people get stuck on creative work and trying to write my first book. This is where I got stuck because I thought, well, you know, I'll just put 250 words a day on my calendar and I'll just uh, bang out my 250 words a day. Well, it doesn't work that way is that there's stages to creativity. There's stages to creative work. Before you reach that moment of insight, before you make those connections from various parts of your brain, you have to have the source material in your brain first. And this is where a lot of us struggle with writing, is we sit down and we think, all right, I'm going to write this, uh, this press release. And okay, what, where do I even begin? You, you expect that you're going to have this wonderful polished prose that comes out. And there's all these different facts you need to look up. And you're like, well, wait, uh, let me go talk to the CEO really quick and, and see what the CEO has to say so I can collect that quote, etc. But there's all these things that you need to collect first. And our brain power is very limited. Our working memory or our short-term memory, not exactly the same thing, but they can be used interchangeably for our purposes, is limited. You know, we can remember two, four, seven things right? This is why, why phone numbers are broken up into groups of four, credit card numbers, etc. So we can remember them. And so what we're doing when we're trying to take in information and solve a problem at the same time is we're trying to use our working memory for all of that. Well, it doesn't work that way. You need to get the information into your long-term memory first. And then later, when your working memory is clear, then you can start to dig into that long-term memory and start trying to make those different connections. So when I do my morning writing session, which I call an explore session, I'm really just exploring what's whatever's in my brain. It's exercising those thoughts in my mind and those kind of seep in. And it's one of these things where 
you know, not everything's going to be useful. Most of it's not going to be useful, but it's going to help me exercise some different connections. And then later on, next time that I'm actually sit down, sitting down and writing, maybe I'll say, oh, yeah, I had that, that, that interesting thing I was writing about the other day, and it'll come out. Uh, now, if I do c- capture something that's just really great, and I just don't want to miss it, then I have you know, ways of capturing it and transferring it to my computer. But most of the time, I just delete everything because it's a different state. It's a state of exploration, as the, as the name implies, where that's one activity that can be explored. But another activity that can be explored is like if I'm reading something. Like when I write my book about design and I'm learning about the history of typography, I might be in a situation where I am actually not reading about typography. I'm reading about some other possibly maybe related subject like the Protestant Revolution that might lead me to something, but I actually have no idea. And so that's why I make the distinction between, say, that exploration and generate. And that's also why I make the distinction between explore and research. Because if I'm researching, that implies that I'm searching again. That implies that I'm searching for something that I already have some kind of idea what I'm looking for, and I'm a little bit more focused on trying to find it. So you can start to see uh, just an introduction of a few of those categories, the ways that we're starting to break up these things that seem like they're things that we just sit down and do all at once and starting to break them up into different situations where uh, where we're doing different things and we're using different energy. Yeah, I get you. And, and I'd love it if you could maybe just give me sort of like the one sentence-ish definition of each of these things. So prioritizing is this, explore is this, research is this, because I think I've got my perception of what these mm-hmm. words mean. But as you've just done some distinguishing, there could be some insight there. So, so lay it sure. on me, rapid fire, put you on the spot. <laughs> what is prioritizing? Okay. Prioritizing is you are planning. This is something that I do every week. I look at my calendar and I make a bullet point list and I rewrite everything on my calendar. And I just make sure that if I'm going to the airport, depending on traffic, how long it's going to take for me to get to the airport, when am I going to leave, when am I going to eat lunch, all that stuff, instead of just waking up that morning and just trying to figure it out and getting into a different state. That's what prioritizes. Very energy hungry, your prefrontal cortex that does that prioritization, something you want to do separately. Explore is that you're collecting information collecting information might be going through ideas or brainstorming you're collecting information but not necessarily specific information mm-hmm. right yeah you kind of have a vague idea of what you're looking for and you are allowing yourself to be in that open-minded state yeah. of looking for that starting to click it's yeah. chill versus research, which I'm we're going to next is kind of like I want my answer. Exactly. Research is what year was Snoop Dogg born? I need to know that for this article that I'm writing. Facts first. <laughs> yeah, like if you want to know the fact or you want to know like I want to know exactly how confirmation bias works and who discovered it, etc. I need to look that up before I can fill out the brackets in this thing that I wrote when I was in the generate state, which is our next one, right? Generate. We are trying to produce something that we can turn into usable, shippable work. And next is polish. We're putting the finishing touches on it. We're dotting the I's, crossing the T's, putting the finishing touches on, refining it, getting it ready to ship. Now, administrate. 
this is the stuff that you kind of you got to do it. It's hard to delegate, but you got to do it. Like maybe it's you're filling out your expense report, going through your email inbox and getting rid of this stuff that's kind of low priority. For me, it's always looking at financial statements and then finally recharge. And that's the, you know, giving yourself a chance to get that energy back, giving yourself the evening, the weekend, taking a nap even in the afternoon to replenish that energy. And it also helps solve a lot of the problems that you've been working on while you're not even actively thinking. And, and I guess with, with administrates, so we're talking about creative work. I'm also thinking about like people stuff. Like much of this sort of benefits from the quiet, the silence, the non-interruptedness. Mm, yeah. And then I'm thinking there's another vibe that happens. I, I think of like maker versus manager. Like uh, when you're in the manager vibe, it, it's almost like, well, heck, we almost could make a whole separate list for like people <laughs> of activities. Cause there's like, there's like connect, there's delegate, there's coach, there's challenge, there's respond and be of service with quick answers to everybody who, who needs a slice and a quick bit of info to continue doing what they're doing. How do you think about that, the, the people-y stuff? Well, it's funny because I'm an ambivert more on the side of introvert. So I do think about the people-y stuff about, am I going to be in the mood to talk to somebody at this particular time? But actually, the people-y stuff and my administrate stuff, kind of, I sort of put, I put them next to each other, even though I've never actually thought about them as, as being related. So like this conversation that we're having right now, I consider this to be explore mental state, but I have these conversations later in the day because that's just when I'm a little more alert and I can think more on my feet and have a conversation like that. Now, as it happens, I have these conversations later in the week. So I've got a rule, no meetings on Mondays or Tuesdays because I want to be completely immersed in whatever it is I'm working on. A lot of the things I've been working on have incubated over the weekend. I want to make the best possible use of that on Monday and Tuesday. Now, towards the end of the week, my creative energy has started to wane. I've gone down a lot of different dead ends that maybe aren't working out yet. Uh, I have produced some things, but then I've got those dead ends. And so it's nice to have a conversation where I can start to explore and, and play with some of the things that I've been thinking about. But also, that makes it a good time to work on administrative stuff, which is why Fridays, especially Friday afternoons, is when I spend time in the administrate state. If I get an email, from my accountant on a Monday, and it says, hey, review these financial statements. I use a plugin called Boomerang, and I send it out of my inbox, and then it comes back to my inbox on Friday afternoon. I don't even know that it exists during that time. So Friday afternoon, I've tapped out my creative energy, and I can do some stuff. It, like It's not hard for me to look at financial statements, really. It's not something that I want to spend my best creative energy on. And so I don't necessarily think about the people part as being part of administrate necessarily. But I also do think about if I'm going to be interacting with people, when's a good time for me to do that? And when are times that I don't want to be doing that? Yeah. 
Well, so I, I mean, I think that it's just having some of these this language, and and I think you know some folks you know might even really make it their own in terms of you know like I like to call it task annihilation, <laughs> you know, in terms of like how that energy feels in terms of I got a big list of quick things that I'm just going to go dot 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 whatever. One of the most powerful things you can do, I think, to be productive is the moment that you know that a task needs to be done, that you're able to stop and think and, and say to yourself, okay, this doesn't need to be done now. When's the right time for me to do this? And what's the state that I need to be in to do that? And for, mm-hmm. every, you know, for a lot of people's work, it's going to be different where they do have those chunks of time when there's a certain type of activity that they're doing and there's a certain energy they're going for and they can save everything for those times. Well, so th- that's great when you could do that. And, and sometimes you can't. And it's sort of like, it'd be ideal if you could slot the tasks in where the states just naturally are, that other times you need to do the thing. So how does one change their state? Yes. Uh, well, first of all, fortunately, I think a lot of, a lot of people are, are noticing with the quarantine, a lot of people are suddenly in more control of their time. So they are actually grappling with this for the first time where it's like, oh my gosh, I actually have control over this. There's something other than the clock dictating what I'm going to do. So I need to figure out. Uh, how to manage my energy in a way. But sometimes you have certain deadlines, you've got stuff that needs to get done. And like I said before, a good way to do that is to sort of think about a time when you were in that mental state. There's a great story from the chess champion, Josh Waitskin, from his book, The Art of Learning, where he talks about this executive who has a lot of trouble concentrating in meetings. And so what Josh did with this executive was ask him, well, when's a time when you feel in flow? And the guy said, well, when I'm playing catch with my son, that's when I really just feel in the moment. I I wish I could feel that way when I'm in a meeting. Well, it's a little hard for him to play catch with his son while he's in the meetings. (laughs) Maybe you could do that today with Zoom. But what Josh did was set up this sort of series of triggers that the executive could use. He said, all right, before you play catch with your son, do these stretches, uh, eat this snack, listen to this Bob Dylan song, then play catch with your son and keep doing that. And what he did was basically classically condition himself to have these different triggers that could get him into that state. And so what he did was then he gradually removed certain things where he couldn't play catch with his son, but before going to a meeting, he would do the stretches, eat the snack, listen to the Bob Dylan song. And just through time was eventually able to get to the point where he could just think of the Bob Dylan song and he would be in that state and he could go into that, into that meeting in that state. Now, this isn't something that you're going to necessarily do with every little thing in your schedule, but maybe your key most important things, the most important states that you're trying to get into that you maybe you're in situations sometimes where you don't have control over being able to get into, into that state, then you have certain triggers set up. Me, before I do a podcast interview, I actually have a, a whole set of warm-ups that I do. I took voice lessons when I was living in Chicago and I've got the audio files for the warm-ups for that. I've got different tongue twisters, I, I say. I've got sort of a process that I use to take myself from that I've been in my head writing all morning state to this I'm going to be talking to Pete state. So this is what, something you want to do with those important things that uh, maybe you don't always have the most control over. Mm-hmm. Well, but I, I like that a lot with like music in particular. It's sort of like, yeah, there's so many different varieties of music. Some they could just naturally say, oh yeah, this is the mood. 
you know, and it's, it's like the soundtrack for that. So I think that's a very versatile and helpful one to have. And not even just soundtrack. I want to also talk about if you have control of your environment as well, especially with the quarantine people, a lot more people working from home. If you have control over your environment, you can start to change certain things. Uh, you know, I've got a standing sitting desk that's different for different mental states. I've got a hammock that I sometimes sit back and brainstorm in. I have a recliner with a overbed table that goes over the recliner and I sort of lay back and, and write in that recliner. So you can change certain things. When I first started on my own, I had a tiny bedroom in San Francisco and that was where I worked and that was where I slept. I worked in cafes during the day, but I was still working at night. And so I didn't want to confuse working with sleeping. And so I had a little Soji screen, a little room divider that I would set up around my desk and I would clip a lamp on there and bounce the light in a certain way. And a certain album I would listen to, I'd put a certain aromatherapy scent on and that would trigger me to be ready to work. Now, when it was time to sleep, I would go immediately from working to sleeping. I had a whole different set of things I did. I hid the desk behind the screen. I maybe put on a different scent, maybe put on a different music and change my environment so that I could change my mental state. That's excellent. And so then a good bit of this is that that self-reflection in terms of last time you were in this groove, what was going on, what was the setup? And you could have a, a journal that you keep for this stuff too. You just yeah. kind of at the end of the day, like observe, when was the time that I felt really in a congruence between what I was doing and, and the way that I felt? And when was the time when I didn't? And you'll eventually start to find those patterns. Uh-huh. Beautiful. Well, David, tell me anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things. No, I think that we've covered a lot of cool stuff. I mean, obviously, I have an entire book. It's very dense. I've worked 10 years on this thing. So there, there's a lot to tackle, way more than we could talk about in this conversation. All right. Well, now could you share with us a favorite quote something you find inspiring? Oh, I like this one from the investor, Naval Ravikant, who was an early investor in, in Uber and a number of other different companies and is, is a great philosopher sort of to, to follow on Twitter. Earn with your mind, not with your time. Okay. And how about a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? I saw an interesting sort of meta-analysis recently in uh, the neuroscience publication called Neuron, and it was about beliefs. And it was basically saying that we form beliefs not just to reduce uncertainty in our world, which is very important for moving through the world to, to, to be able to quickly uh, assess things. This is where biases come from. But that having a belief in itself is a reward. And so they've noticed this through a number of different experiments that uh, being able to hold a belief and confirm a belief actually looks like a reward in the brain. And so this is sort of the idea of confirmation bias, the neural correlates of confirmation bias. So it's like, see, I'm right. Like that feels good. Yeah. And it is critical to our sort of echo chamber world that we live in, but it's also important to doing uh, creative work, I think is very relevant. So if I'm somebody who's like, I believe one day I'm going to become a famous comedian, that belief feels good. And they've even noticed that if you're looking for a certain belief, your brain will change what it looks for to confirm that belief. And so if you believe you're going to be a famous comedian someday, 
then you're going to seek out information that's going to confirm that belief and you're going to avoid information that would challenge that belief. So information that might confirm that belief would be, I'm going to go take another comedy class. Information that would challenge that belief would be, I'm going to get on stage and tell some jokes in front of people because likely you're not going to get the laughs that you expect. And so this is a way that we kind of have what I call aspiration procrastination, which is what my previous book, The Hard to Start, is about, which is these situations where having this belief that this thing is, you're going to do this someday is such an enjoyable feeling that we put off doing anything that would challenge that belief. So it was really interesting to see that actual neuroscience behind that. Mm-hmm. And how about a favorite book? I really enjoy the work of Nicholas Nassim Taleb. Black Swan is, I think, is a fantastic book. And a favorite tool? Something you use to be awesome at your job? Todoist. Great mm-hmm. to-do app. And a favorite habit? My 100 words on my Alpha Smart in the morning. And is there a particular nugget you share that really seems to connect and resonate with folks that quote it back to you often? Well, the idea of mind management, not time management, is something that people tend to respond to. Mm-hmm. And if folks want to get in touch, where would you point them? Twitter. I'm really active on Twitter. I know, I know all the kids love Instagram these days. I know all the mm-hmm. old people love Facebook these days. Mm-hmm. But Twitter is, is where I'm at, at Cadavy. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs? Yeah, final challenge is the next time that you have something to do, ask yourself, what would be the ideal mental state for me to do this? That's it. All right. David, it's been a treat. Keep on rocking and uh, we'll see we'll see each other maybe in five years. <laughs> I hope sooner than that. But yeah, Pete, it's an honor. Your show is wonderful. So thank you. I really appreciated David's key questions there in terms of what mental state am I in right now? What do I need to do that fits that mental state? And if I need to do something else, what mental state do I need to be in for that? And then sort of the rituals that might get you to there and thinking about those seven mental states of creative work. I think that is an excellent starting point. And I'd recommend customizing that for yourself. We talked a little bit about people-y things. And, and I think that sometimes those might fit into those seven categories, or that might feel distinctively different for you based upon that mental energy that's flowing there. Maybe sometimes you're having a meeting with someone to prioritize or to explore, to research, to generate, to polish, to administrate, to recharge. And and maybe other times it it just doesn't feel like it fits into those because what we're doing here, maybe it's not even work. I guess then that's recharging. (laughs) So I'm contradicting myself. Uh, But yeah, I I think that you get that vibe in terms of what's the ideal setting and the feel and the groove. And what I find myself is that when I'm frustrated with my productivity for the day, it's like, oh, I didn't get stuff done. What normally usually means is I had a need or desire or a deadline looming to generate some stuff, but my brain was in this really cool, fun, playful, exploring world. And so it's like I didn't get done the things that I wanted to get done, but wow, I I really explored and discovered some very useful things that actually maybe were maybe even more valuable (laughs) than that which I was supposed to generate that day. And and I sort of have beat myself up as like, oh, I did not complete the things on my to-do list. For shame, I should have been more disciplined and hunkered down and got her done. And and I love what David's saying here is like, no, maybe not. Maybe often the right answer is to run with that groove that you're in because you're there and and it can indeed be valuable. And if you got your tasks kind of raring to go and 
such that you can think, hey, what's something I need to explore right now? Oh, these things. Well, here I go. Then that's that's really handy as opposed to ending up exploring, I don't know, your Facebook news feed or the news or something that's you know low value for your exploring brain. You might even put a tag on your action items or to-do items inside OmniFocus or Evernote or Bear or to do is any number of places you store your to-do lists. I like OmniFocus myself. But then again, if that makes it too cumbersome so that so you have more resistance and it gets in the way, don't do that. But uh, if you think, oh, that would just be a perfect task for when I'm in that explore groove, by all means, throw a tag on there. That'd be good. Anyway, I'm rambling. I can dork out on the productivity tools and fun things. So thanks to David for bringing the goods. Again, the show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP617. If you haven't already, I recommend you push subscribe. You'll catch our next guest. It's Jody Hume. She's got some pro tips on how to disentangle stuff if you're stuck, how to get unstuck. Really handy anytime a decision is kind of tricky. Hope to catch you there. And peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers. Subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.